real life superpowers. If you want to get rich, well, I, I wish I knew. I don't think there's a formula for this. Otherwise, everybody would have done it, right? I think in the tech scene, which I know more than others, um, usually um, you can become much richer uh, by joining the right company at the right stage. Um, so if you look at companies who sort of raised some money from good VCs, kind of, uh, you know, sort of the VCs are going, it might be a seed round, A round, sort of like early stage, and you join them at that time and you get a nice package of stock or options or whatnot, and the company is successful, you still like, if somebody's raised two rounds from a leading VC, they probably got a good chance, like one of those three or four to be successful. You're not going to be a billionaire out of this, but you can get maybe, I don't know, if you're successful, maybe a million dollars, which is actually a good thing. Uh, and then maybe after you get one of them is not like rich, rich, but it's like, it gives you uh, the, the economic safety that I think most people are looking for. Hey folks, in this episode we speak with Elon Reshef, co-founder and chief product officer at Gong. He's a serial entrepreneur. After successfully selling his previous e-commerce startup web collage, he went on to co-found Gong, a SaaS solution that as they like to describe themselves, unlocks reality to help people and companies reach their full potential. Gong is growing at a rapid rate and is very well known across the sales and marketing industry, having acclaimed several awards and doing marketing work that simply can't be ignored. There's a lot to learn from Elon's professional and entrepreneurial journey. Enjoy your listen. Real Life Superpowers Elon, welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Hello, thanks for having me. So Gong are like the celebrities of the marketing and sales industry. Um, we're, we're doing our best to grow. I'm glad the sort of uh, name kind of precedes us. That's a good thing. Do you remember a point where you sort of felt like suddenly the word is spreading? It's never one point. You know, it's when you start a company, initially you don't have any customers and suddenly there's 10, there's 15, and there's 100 and initially people didn't, don't know about you and then they know about you a little bit more and then a little bit more. Uh, so it, it's a journey. I don't think there's one point where you say, hey, it's, everybody knows Gong. People still don't know who we are in many cases and it's always better to be uh, more known and more successful than the other way around. So I think it's a gradual process. And how did you end up founding the company? So uh, it's an interesting story. I, was, I had my previous company. This is my second startup. So previous one, we had sold back in 2013. And then I kind of stayed with them, took a sabbatical. And I was kind of doing nothing for a year, which I recommend everybody, by the way. And then I met Amit, who is my co-founder co and CEO. Um, and he left a company uh, called Sysense at the time. And he was running that company. And they were running into issues where they did not understand why sales were not succeeding. So he was like, well, you got to figure a way to find the answer, right? And I was in sabbatical. I was doing learning, machine learning and AI that was popular at the time, starting at the time. So we kind of got together and we said, hey, let's solve it using technology. Let's give people a system that they can just understand what's really going on versus, you know, what people are reporting. So so that's the uh, genesis of it all. And, you know, it's okay if you don't want to answer that, but you sold the company and, and you decided you're taking a year off. And was it very clear to you as after you sold it uh, that you're going to keep working and, and initiating? Or did you, did you feel like you need to? Or was it more of a passion? Were you able to not continue working if you wanted to? I don't know. When we sold the previous company, it wasn't a huge success. I mean, I got a little bit out of it. So no, I definitely had to find new 
work. I took a sabbatical. It was a, it was a long run, more than 10 years. So I needed some time off. I could afford a year off. Um, and then um, I think my preference was to start a new company. I tried many things. I was like incubating, not starting like, you know, um, a couple of uh, two or three different ideas. Talking with people, of course, not myself, just uh, in terms of like maybe do something together. Um, but at the end of the year, I was um, um, very bored. So at some stage, you're like, okay, what am I going to do with the day? Can I wake up, have coffee at 10 a.m.? What do you do now? Um, so I was going to actually, I, I had a few job offers at the time and I was considering going back to like a, have a normal life, which is, you know, be a employee somewhere. <laughs> um, heading products was kind of the main one that people reached out to me for. Um, and then I met a meet and I was like, yeah, of course, I'd rather do something that, uh, uh, you know, I can start. It's, it's still fun. It's like more fun. It's not even just like you, you control more, more things when you're a co-founder. Were you ever an employee? Oh, of course, of course. I mean, yeah, before we, I, you know, previous company I started, you know, many years ago, but before that I was working with two or three companies, you know. Were you ever a good employee? I never got fired. So I guess it's okay. I mean, I, I once I was going to quit and I convinced the uh, employer to sort of like terminate me for obviously kind of for, for, for uh, kind of whatever the uh, severance reasons. But I was like, yeah, I was, yeah. So I wasn't maybe not good, but at least not bad enough to get fired. So. Taking it a sabbatical. You're like, what, what, what is your day? How do you get something in motion? Cause usually if you have motion, that's like, as an entrepreneur, it's easy when you don't have motion, you said that cup of coffee, like who makes that cup of coffee for you? Well, first of all, there is a, there is a coffee place next to my apartment. By the way, Tarantino sits there right now. At the time he wasn't still married to a, his sorority wife. So uh, I was there alone or without Tarantino anyway. Um, and they knew me at the time. Cause it was like, I was there maybe three, four times a, a week. Um, so a lot of like meeting other people, potentially kind of dating for co-founding and each co-founder, potential co-founder you meet is like might have an idea or a domain expertise. I spend time kind of researching more and stuff. I still have this folder of like things I researched back in 2014. Um, not good ideas, by the way, some might be, but most are not. Um, so you look at the industry uh, sometimes you kind of date somebody for a few weeks because you want to like explore stuff sometimes it works not not for personal reasons like oh the idea doesn't work and then i don't know some things don't work and then the other things i took a deep learning course in tel aviv university that was fun i just like mingled a little bit to kind of know the industry better that was like when i was co-founder i didn't have time i was kind of busy working so just like meeting vcs meeting other entrepreneurs to sort of know the uh, ecosystem a little bit more i i was part of a, fam- a group of uh, parents who started a school that's fun Right, starting a school is fun. So lots of stuff, and then I had more time for the kids. I mean, yeah, more coffee. What school? It's a school next to my apartment. It's called the Yudama Kabi School. It's still considered a good school. It was kind of a little bit innovative at the time, um, but of course, it wasn't our school. It was the municipal school. But we were part of the uh, group of parents who kind of affected how it's being kind of set up. So that's an interesting hobby. It is. I, I'm not going to do it again. Trust me. <laughs> and 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 okay. So why you if you dated so much, why do you sleep with uh, Amit? so-called like why why was he was a keeper um pete before even met him he, he was considered a very good um like a, a super talent i mean it's sort of one of the best go-to-market uh, people in israel um certainly a lot of expertise and experience and i think he also had a great idea for a new software product that i liked because i like uh, working with salespeople. i love b2b software business to business software meaning selling to um businesses not just to consumers um so it was the right time again i was at the end of the year so i was uh, i was bored and he was looking for a co-founder so i think all things kind of came together very nicely and like you so so you decided to like you know be together and like how did that work because he had no clients you said that like we had no clients so like what what's the first thing you did to start like did you sit in the coffee house and start planning it like what was the first thing that got in motion 
Yeah, so I think there's two parallel tracks. One one is, I mean, maybe a few things. One is just dating, right? It's just like you get to know the person a little bit and you want to see that you can actually uh, um, start a business with them, right? It's, it's going to sound obvious, but it isn't, right? It's like, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a not knowing people thing. It always takes time. The other thing is, yes, is sort of like um, doing a little bit of coffee talk so that we can kind of see what the idea looks like, where are we taking it, blah, blah, blah. And unfortunately, he does not live in Tel Aviv. So I had to go to places I've never visited before. Like, I don't know, Kenyon Renanim. Like all those places, like, is it somebody in Tel Aviv, you don't even know which, just ways, you can just ways them. And then um, I literally, I, I hate like uh, shopping malls. And, and, and this dating scene was the only time in my life where I actually visited different shopping malls. Like, again, not before, not after, nothing. And then the third part is, I think, probably the most important one is once you start get the hang of it, is is sort of start working with the market. So you call a few like network people in networks, like, hey, you could be a potential customer if we build this. Would you, is this something going to interest you? What are your feedback? So both on the market, the need, and then the technology, because Gong is a pretty sophisticated like AI-based stuff. So it's like, oh, is it even feasible? Right? Uh, we we started by understanding conversations. You know, what is the AI for call transcription for AI natural language understanding? So both on the customer side and on the technology side just making sure that the thing actually works makes sense and then later on when you actually start it it's like you know raise money bring people there's obviously other things and and why gong why'd you call it gong we didn't amit came up with the name honeyfy which i think he kind of brought from his like uh incubation before and nobody could spell it uh honeyfy it's like making something into honey and i think after a few weeks it became evident that if you want people to not even just like find us it's just like even be able to get into the site after they tried it a few times we're gonna have to change it and gong is uh, all salespeople, when they are successful, there's a boom, hit the gong with the success. So since the software is mostly for revenue professionals, um, it, it, it was a good name. It's one syllable. There is statistics that companies with one syllable are more successful, like Slack or Lyft or Apple. So uh, Google is even one syllable. So I think you want to be on the successful side of the arts, like uh, dynamic um, incubation software is probably not the best idea. And how did you get the first client? The first customer through the network. So actually, the first one was a company called Acton out of California. Meet new one of the people there. And he was like, hey, what do you think? And he was like, he's so excited. So he said, yeah, let's try it out. Um, he probably wasn't even the right buyer because usually we sell to, at the time, we had sold to mostly revenue professionals. I think this guy was more on the analytic side of the house, but he was like so passionate. He was like, yeah, let's bring it in. Let's try it out. Um, so I literally was... I opened a Gmail account and I kind of created this my own cloud, you know, software cloud, and I coded the first version so that I can give this person something they can play. It wasn't like real software; it was kind of pilot, but at least something they can play around with. And and that was a good, you know, they liked it. It wasn't like them being a yes and no answer, but it was definitely helpful in in the sense that you know they kind of were were, were really excited about the idea. And deep learning, there's like there's so much data. So like, where's the epiphany moment? Where you're like, oh, okay, I hacked this kind of conversation and I found what, you know, how to, you know, bring those clients for that industry. Like, was there a moment where you said, oh, we're onto something? What was it? So I, I think the way we looked at AI is a little bit strange or different than other people, maybe. So um, I, I think back in 2015, when we started the company, again, I, I took a deep learning course in, in Tel Aviv University, and it became obvious to me that this was like, quote, unquote, the future, whatever that is, right? So the first thing I did is 
I went and bought NVIDIA stock because they were making all of the GPUs to drop all of this thing. And I bought them at 20, now they're 300, whatever. So I think that was like fun. And the next thing I did is send my, my sort of my entire family. So I go buy NVIDIA stock. This is the next thing. And they didn't buy it. So now they're kind of hating me. <laughs> and the next thing is now you sort of have to figure out what you do. And I think from a software perspective, it's we wanted to sort of make as much sense out of human conversations so that we can do something autonomously. So you speak with customers, the system is going to tell you what you need to know. And it was obviously it was not applicable at the time. It wasn't available because um, everything is evolving. But it, like we knew it's going to become better and better and better. So the first version of the software, we actually just used the third-party transcription service that only converted this conversation into words. And the only thing you could do is search them or tag other people in comments. So it was still a great collaboration tool, but very little understanding. And then after a year or so, we built our own transcription service or a couple of years maybe. So that was like much, much better like accuracy in terms of what you read. But it was still not a lot to understand. And then we build keyword search. So if you're any time the customer says discount, you can type in discount and you know it finds it. And then we build topic understanding. So you can say, oh, they're talking about analytics, but so it's like more. And now we just launched like literally 2022. We launched this idea of like semantic search, which is basically you're telling me discount, and the system's going to know if you say it's too expensive or I'm not sure I can approve it because of cost. And but it takes time. It's a journey, right? It's a seven-year journey where we started with third-party transcription. Now it's like oh, 30 AI engineers who kind of do very deep understanding. So it's, again, it's like one step at a time. Amazing. And like, how much do you feel the fact that it's not your first rodeo is helping you? Oh, a lot. I always recommend every entrepreneur. My first advice is start with a second company. This is <laughs> so much better. This is like amazing. Like, so the thing is like a gong, we, we, we didn't do so many mistakes. And sometimes it comes across like bragging. It's like, oh, you're so perfect. You got to have made mistakes. I'm like, no, dude, we're just like, I made so many mistakes in my previous company. I have a bag full of mistakes that there's not just all you can't even fit in more mistakes. It's like I'm, I've made like every mistake in the book twice and then a handful of more. Um, so I think it, it really helps by avoiding them. Let, let's unpack that. What are like the things that you, what are the, the main pitfalls that you know by now that you've avoided this round? First of all, you opened up a first company, which is a problem. <laughs> so uh, there's so many. I think uh, some are more generic, like hire the right people, insist on great talent. And other things, it's like sort of, sort of, everybody talks about it, but in my previous company, like we just hired wrong people, et cetera. But probably the main learning um, is in the beginning, uh, where in the beginning, um, my previous company, what we, we had this like uh, Estee Lauder was a client and Chanel was a client and and, and sort of like we said, now cosmetics is too small and we tried to be everything for everybody. So then we signed up American Express and Cisco, all great names, but nothing in common. So we we're spreading way too thin and we couldn't just generate enough interest in the market because... And, and and I think sort of there is the crossing the chasm book, which tells you what to do. And, and first time around, I read it. I'm like, nah, I can do much better than that. I'm smarter than this Jeffrey guy. Um, so I think now you learn that, that that it actually makes sense. So when we started Gong, we were like, we're going to hyper-focus. So we started with initially only sending to software companies in the United States who sell via video uh, mid-size, so 200 to 1,000 people. Um, um, probably a few more things in English, et cetera, et cetera. It was a very small market, maybe a few thousand companies. And then we expanded, and expanded, expanded. But the fact that our first dozen customers were the same type basically allows allowed us to get number 14, 13, 14, 15, because they all knew each other. So somebody leaves a company in Israel and they go to the next company, which looks the same. They're like, oh, I need Gong. Um, so that really allows us to blow. So focus on on, on, on sort of like a small um, 
niche, start with a small niche, make them very, very successful. Initially, our customers loved us versus go very wide and try to do many things for many customers. Half of the startup companies I, I kind of come across still are, it's very hard to focus because they're like, oh, I really can do help this guy and this guy and this guy's my uncle and he really likes it. And also focus you don't know what to focus on. Exactly. But the worst thing is trying to do many things or, or try to go after different market, different solutions. So just like toss a coin, pick one and go after it for a while. I think at the time in my web collage days, which was my, my first company, if we were just focused on cosmetics, we would have been there. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, it's, we probably would have had like 10 cosmetics customers and then we would have gone to, I don't know, some other beauty stuff. And then maybe, uh, I don't know, some, I don't know, shoes company or some upper apparel, whatever would have made it something that makes sense. And then you know, at Web Collage, it took us like three or four years to go back to retail. And then we started everybody in retail, but that was like three years journey, with, which wasn't very helpful. So yeah, you got to learn from mistakes. Otherwise, I mean, you're going to make them obviously multiple times. Do you think that on the entrepreneur side, like, it's really interesting on the focus because like right now there's so much noise and the problem is, you know, how to market yourself. It's easier to market something that you know what they do instead of making all the noise. But the thing is, do you think it's a psychology thing of being scared to close doors if you're making the wrong decision? Or do you think it's maybe a enjoyment thing because it may be boring doing one thing like the types of entrepreneurs, right? Like, because it's not like the, people don't know that, but the, but it's hard to do, right? It is psychology. I think there's a couple of things. First of all, <laughs> you have to make a decision now. I don't know. There's lots of research that shows that making decisions is hard, right? You sort of make a lot of decisions and then in the end, there's like a fatigue, like physical fatigue. It's like, I don't know, doing some chores or something. So decisions of saying somebody, you know, not doing something is a hard decision, right? So it's, it's, the harder the decision is, the more taxing it is. So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is people, I don't recommend to people to be entrepreneurs. This is not fun. You always get no's, right? It's like what other industry you keep getting no's all the time, right? I mean, just like, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I don't remember my dating days. That was many years ago. I'm over 50, but I don't think I got as many no's as I got as an entrepreneur, right? Uh, so um, so it's not fun, but at the same time, you're getting so many no's that if finally somebody says yes, you're like, oh, dude, I really want to have you as a customer. Whereas in fact, you want to sometimes say no to customers, even if they're like, uh, because I hear you, this is what you need. And sorry, this is not what we do. We may do this later, or we may never do this, or I hear you and I'll think about it. Uh, but it's so hard because finally you get a yes and like, oh shit, I'm going to have to ask for another yes. And the right people, like how do you not make the mistake of hiring the wrong people? Because that's really broad and, and it keeps being thrown around, but people keep repeating the mistake. Are there any rules of thumb or stuff that people can pay attention to? Yeah, there's many things. First of all, don't hire people if you know they're not good which kind of sounds idiotic, right? It's like, of course, I would hire somebody if I know they're not good. But most people are just like, yeah, I know this person is not so good, but I really need this person right now. And if I don't have it, I'm not going to blah, blah, blah. So it's like resist the temptations. Just like, whatever, just wait a little bit more, find the right people. I can give you like numerous examples of specific things. We're like, oh, I might like uh, hire. And then we hired somebody who was way better. And nobody kind of remembered that we had other candidates. I can also tell you about 90% of my bad hires were in times where it was hard to find for that position. I was like, yeah, we're going to lower the bar and then, you know, screw it. Like six months later, everything was collapsing. Um, so that's the first thing. You Normally, you know. And I think the other thing is set high expectations just in general. Just, uh, you know, always prefer somebody's... Like, I don't... Like, Amit and I, it's kind of funny because we think the same way about this. Like, there isn't some such thing as an overqualified. If you're looking for a salesperson, you get the best salesperson in the world. Maybe you're going to get the third best. Um, but try for the for, for the best. And somebody's like, oh, I got 20 years experience. And some people will be like, um, oh, I only need somebody with five years of experience. Well, 
if you get somebody better, get somebody better. I mean, this is this is all about being successful, especially in a startup company. Like everything works against you, right? The market is against you. You don't have funding. You don't have the right people. You don't have the infrastructure. Maybe your idea sucks. Maybe your technology sucks. You, I don't like sort of. So the more you can reduce the risk, so to speak, by getting the right people, people underestimate that. So the overqualification is usually because they may think that they can't keep them happy for a long while, right? So or afford them. Let's say affording them, but the, the 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 risk is when they say overqualified, he's like, okay, he'll go to the biggest competitor and ask whatever. You know what I mean? Like, how do you keep them? So I think uh, affording is the easy one because I think it's much cheaper to hire a good person than to hire, you know, in a, in a, just like in terms of the result you get or just get somebody good better than two people who are less good usually in most in most cases, right? Not in every case. Uh, in terms of retention, yes. I mean, this is a consideration. If somebody's overqualified, like you don't think they're going to hang around after a year, uh, maybe. But um, I, like in, in many cases, like I was just chatting with, with my... Um, um, around our acquisitions. We made like a couple of small acquisitions, like three people, five people. And all of the people we acquired are still here three or four years afterwards. Because you, know, you could think entrepreneurs, they're going to leave after a year, a couple or whatever, and they like it here. It's, you know, they, don't, not, they don't stay for the money. They're, they're already vested. Um, so I think it's all about um, then, after you hire somebody, make sure that it's an environment they actually can be successful in and they, they, have, they can enjoy work and you can create enough challenges. Now, truthfully, you know, if... You know, Steve Steve Jobs uh, came out of his grave and came over and said, "I want to be an engineer in Gong." And yeah, yeah maybe you're not going to enjoy it after a year. Uh, but you know, I think as long as it's within the ballpark of what people are looking for, usually it's fine. I mean, if if, if the environment makes sense, and and you know, I think it's going to be fine. What other pitfalls to avoid? Um, people going after the market, accelerating too fast is one that I think I've done pretty badly in a previous company. Cause like there, there's a life cycle to everything, right? It's like, um, when you're a young couple, you probably don't need a six bedroom apartment, <laughs> maybe never, but whatever. Um, so like one of the tempting things, I think now people, most people know it, but at the time it wasn't so obvious that, you know, you start developing a product and it's like, oh, the product's fine. Uh, let's hire six people and start selling it. And the idea is like, no, you want to first, like maybe with one salesperson, see that it's successful, do it again. Then you want to start, I don't know, you go out to a new continent or a new country. It's like, okay, try one person, see that it works, scale. Or you're going after a new vertical or a new type of customer or something. Always kind of start at the right pace and then, and then step up. Because what happens if you sort of speed up very quickly, prematurely, um, and it doesn't matter for what, even hiring engineers, right? You're just going to hire 20 engineers. It's all going to be a mess. Nobody's going to know what to do. People are going to step on each other. It's going to be a confusion. And the worst thing happens. Like suddenly there is a feeling of non-success in the company and people start leaving. And then if one person leaves, they're like, oh, that he's leaving. Why should I not leave? And so essentially it's not just not progressing. It's actually taking the uh, whole area of the company uh, uh, backwards. So pacing everything is critical. We're excited to be collaborating with the Israeli website CTech, owned by Kalkalist, Israel's leading business newspaper. CTech is the gateway of the Israeli high-tech to the tech world and vice versa. If you're not already a regular reader, we strongly recommend that you check out kalkalistech.com, C-A-L-C-A-L-I-S-T-E-C-H.com, to stay up to date on all high-impact stories from the Israeli tech scene. And you were saying you don't recommend being an entrepreneur yet. This is your second time. And I'm guessing there's a very high chance that there's going to be a third. So I'm curious, why be an entrepreneur? There are many benefits, right? You know, I also don't necessarily recommend being a parent, right? I hope my 
kids don't listen to this, but it's still something. Well, first of all, it's social pressure, right? Um, but then it's uh, everybody in Israel has to be an entrepreneur. But the, uh, the, the the big benefits are, the drawbacks are you will probably work harder, you kind of struggle, you get lots of no's, and, and again, sort of like everything's on you, right? In normal position, you just come in the morning, you go in the afternoon, it's like, you know, excuse my French here, you know, fuck the business, I'm good. Uh, the, uh, um, the, the nice thing about being an entrepreneur, again, if you care about it, you get a, a, a larger vote in how you shape the company. Um, conceptually, culture. So um, like Amit and myself are both like pretty straightforward people. We're like, speak our mind. We're kind of, you know, really like human in how we interact. So the whole company is like, okay, we have a corporate thing called No Sugar. Where like in court, everybody's like, okay, this is what I think versus kind of sugar coating or politics or whatnot. So you get a lot of say in, in sort of how we, you know, what you believe in as, as a human being is, is being in the company. I'll give you another example. Uh, Amit and I both believe in, I don't know, uh, sort of equality, equity these days. There's names for it, gender equality for that matter. So we put a lot of effort in things around gender equality, you know, number of uh, women leaders and, you know, kind of donations that we make and so on we get we get a vote in this right um if i were just an employee in a company they might you know it might have been a different type of work environment and, and kind of set of quote unquote values or operating principles that i need to sort of work with um yeah, i probably would have survived you know you asked me if i was a bad employee i don't think i was a bad employee but you have to sort of tolerate stuff you don't necessarily personally like and that's mostly what you felt like you're uh tolerating that the fact that you don't really have enough impact as an as an employee he does it now. He said he only has a little more say, which is really interesting for me to understand because that's why being an entrepreneur, you have a little more say. That's it. Yeah. I don't think I can, I have, you know, neither Amit and I can go back to the company and say, oh, by the way, from now on, we're all going to be blah, 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 because people are going to either ignore us or laugh at us or, you know, all of this, like companies have values, you know, be honest or, you know, I'm going to now going to be nasty for a second. Like Google used to have this do no evil. I think at some stage they just turn it off because they realize it's not as simple not being evil. Even that thing is not so e easy. So, so, so yeah, you get a little bit more say. You don't, you don't, you, I, you know, I personally, I can't just, come back and say, hey, for now, from now on, you know, green planet is the most important thing and the whole company is going to be after a green planet. This is just not what's... I like, you're saying a little, but do you have 50% of the say? Or you're saying a little more say, that means you have less than that. In, in like, how, do, how much impact do you feel that you have on that? We're, I think, yeah, we're 10% executive team right now. So I think I have, you know, 10 like executive team runs the company. So I think Amit probably is the CEO. Amit is the CEO, my partner, right? So he's got obviously kind of first seat captain <laughs> so he's got more say than others but in general we sort of you know is, is there going to be are we going to i don't know are we going to office op, we just open an office in ireland right are we going to open an office in ireland right it's got lots of implications for the company right yeah i gotta say the uh nice leader who leads hr is going to have a say the, the nice gentleman who heads finance is going to have a say so we all have a say as a founder you get like a, a you know an extra share so to speak it's like yes i'm in, on the board so i like and i get you know I don't use it, but I would get a veto right if people are going to be like, oh, we're going to start hiring, I don't know, um, really, really kind of jerks, right? I'm going to be like, yeah, I don't get this. This is not over my dead body kind of thing, but I don't think I exercise this right ever in, in, in Gong. But I apologize for the, for this, but, but like just out of curiosity, it's it, it doesn't work like, like a real vote, right? It's not like they have 10% vote, you know, like there's a lot of psychology and dynamics and culture around it. So like, like on, you, you probably have things that you have a say, which is like, you know, ethical company culture and stuff like that. 
But like how much of a real say, because I find that a lot of entrepreneurs, it's more like enabling, right? It's enabling say. It's like the veto is very important, okay? The yes, critical decisions. And in the middle, how much of a say do you like feel that you have? So when I said say, I meant mostly things around culture and, and, and these sort of things. I think what I try to do, I lead a product team at Gong. So this is my official role, 16 something people. I have a lot of say in my organization. This is, you know, as the leader, hopefully I have some say there. Otherwise, you know, why am I there? I, ha I you know, I can influence others, but definitely I, I, I would not go to the sales organization and be like, oh, you should hire more customer success managers. This would be, I mean, if. But maybe they should. Yeah, I mean, I could recommend. I mean, like they would recommend to me. They come back to me. It's like, hey, I think we should develop this feature because it's going to help us. This, this and that. This is obviously part of the discussion I have with my peers. Um, and, and I would go back to them and say, hey, I don't think you're like doing this, this, and that. But I don't, I don't have a special say in, in in other people's areas of responsibility. Probably the one thing I would probably say again is like being at the board. It's like if there is a total dysfunction in some area, I probably could be like, oh. Do we have the right leader in place? And I think it's a meat thing, but I'm obviously going to be part of that loop as, as being in, in, in the board of directors. But um, this did not happen, you know. We meet a lot of entrepreneurs and we always find that there's something, you know, it's not like the money or the power. There's something passion, something, some riddle in the person that makes a passion to open up a company. Like something like to, to that, take that leap, which we agree it's it's difficult, but there is ROI, but it's not the ROI that people expect. So what was the thing that made you, you know, say, I want to, I want to take this challenge on. So in all honesty, I think it's pure luck in the sense of, I used to work at a company, you know, as, a, as an employee at a company called Zappa Digital Arts and also called the Gizmos, which people don't know so much today. It was, it was mildly successful kind of startup back in the uh, last century and uh, previous century. Um, and what, what was special about that company is the founders of a company called ICQ emanated from that company. So four people were like, oh, we're going to start ICQ. And these guys were building this chat engine, which many of the uh, people in the audience might still have heard about. And they sort of found it was 300 or $400 million after like a couple of years. At the time, it was a huge exit. Now, 400 million is like, okay, I'm buying groceries with this. But it was, it was a huge thing at the time. And what was huge about it, it was just a freaking messaging app, right? Um, and it was still astounding at the time, even for for you know tech, tech community. And what was mo even more astounding is you know we were sitting next you know, next. Day. I actually came in just when they left. But I was kind of working with them a little bit, and they were just like normal people. They weren't like super like. I mean, they're all smart people, but like weren't Einstein's. They were like anything special. They're like four young, three young kids, and and whatever one father. Then just like. So it gave everybody the aspirations to be like, well, if they can do it, we can all do it. So I think out of this company called Zaba Digital Arts, I think there's probably 20 startups started afterward because everybody's like, well, I'm as good. Um, so I think in a way, when I left this this that, that company, um, it was kind of natural to say, hey, I got an idea, let's start something. And that started the previous company. And now when I did this previous company, it was like, okay, I can do this. So when I start a new company, this is going to be F-reference. Again, I, I did take call for for operate positions in, in, in other leadership roles in other companies. But I also saw the benefit. The benefit is if you can raise money, then again, you get this extra vote and you kind of get the shape company in the way you want to. And I think it's fun. It's just more fun coming to work, to be honest with you. That's the main thing. It's This is the number one thing. What kind of house did you grow up in? Like were your parents or somebody around you an influence or something that inspired you uh, down the road to take that path too? think so i don't think we we're like anything special i mean yeah i got a computer at a relatively young age i got addicted to it i was like a very very young programmer i took like a programming job at some relative relatively i don't know end of ninth grade but it was more like you know this is sort of the typical engineer kind of thing i think the most entrepreneurial thing i ever did was i don't know maybe sixth grade is 
put me in the street to sort of sell fruit on a stand or something, but I don't think that's entrepreneurial. That's just like kid stuff. Um, so no, I don't think it was it was something overly kind of putting me in this direction. Again, I was going. I went to the IDF. I took a couple of jobs afterwards. So I didn't see myself as entrepreneurs or passion or anything else. But were there any entrepreneurs around you growing up? No, nothing special. I don't think you need to sort of have, I think, again, being an entrepreneur is, especially in Israel, which is like a startup friendly nation. I think anybody can do this. I don't think you need like a special, well, you need to sort of make the, the one thing you got to do is some sort of a willingness to give up your salary for a good chunk of time. Because you're not going to raise, you're not going to start a company, you know, without taking some sort of a vacation or I don't know something. I mean, you could, but in nine out of ten cases, you have to sort of have incubated for a while. If you're willing to do this, and I got fortunate because the first time I did this was after I finished my master's degree, and I wasn't going to take a job anyway, so I was like, yeah, whatever, I'm just going to fall around a little bit. Um, but I think it's it's harder if you sort of start having a family and whatnot, and now it's like, okay, how how do I survive in, the, in this next year? Um, again, I got fortunate. I really think he hacked it. Like the aspiration thing, like that's great luck being like with, you know, Sivardi and the people that were super successful with ICQ and seeing them as normal human beings. Like they did a really good favor. If everybody was, was, you know, brutal simplicity showing that the, these are, this is the podcast, by the way, that they're human beings with skill sets and, you know, that, that would bring people, you know, to try to hack in as well. You said they're not Einstein's, which is true for everybody. And if you know you're like smart and you had something to give them and worked with them for a minute and they said, thank you, you know, you do, that was like the biggest, that's like to, to give a metaphor to whoever doesn't know ICQ, it's sort of like um, um, a billion dollar exit. It was like Instagram to Facebook vibe. So there's being impactful there. That's a great aspiration. Like, how, do you have any advice of people getting those aspirations, like just meeting human beings that are so successful that look like gods, but they're just, you know, my dad used to say Churchill also goes to the bathroom. I, I think so. I didn't meet Churchill. I didn't meet Churchill for, you know, I, I kind of assume <laughs> that. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, we can always meet people. I mean, this is not the hard thing. I would actually, you know, if somebody wants to be an entrepreneur, one of the things I typically recommend is, um, I, I call it the spiral method is you sort of, um, if you want to know something like when I need to learn, learn what does a speech to text technology look like, right? I didn't know shit about it. So what I did was like, I picked the person who I knew who knew most about it because he happened to have worked in such a company 10 years later, earlier. And I'm like, what do you know? Like, well, I know X, Y, and Z. It's like, whatever. It's not a lot. Who else do you know that knows about it? He's like, oh, I know this Barack guy who kind of knows this stuff. Okay. I talked to Barack. It's like, okay, who do you know? And I started speaking to people, maybe 20, 30 people. And each time you learn something new, at some stage you stop learning and then you know you're kind of okay because now you're like, okay, as much as you can get from coffee conversations. So I think through this process, which I encourage everybody to go and just like learn through people. Uh, you also meet the people, you see that they're normal, you see like what is their, like what are what has kind of made them successful, not successful. Most people are willing to give you half an hour to an hour if you come with a very focused ask, right? If you're like, tell me more about your company, people are going to be like, well, I got other things to do. Or if you're like, I want to get general advice, people might be, uh, is this a good use for my time? But if people come to you and say, I, I need half an hour because I want to understand X, Y, and Z, and you're an expert in this, most people, including very senior people, are going to be willing to give you this half hour at some stage. You know, you mentioned that you need to be willing to not make money for a while. Uh, and, and I'm sort of thinking to myself that a lot of people would be willing because they look at this as risk mitigation because they think that at the end of the day, they're gambling on themselves and they think they could get a lot richer through a startup, even though the statistics would tell you that most of them are going to fail. 
uh, which leads me to sort of think, if a person is going down the entrepreneurial path with the main goal of getting rich, which, by the way, I believe a lot are, and then they're wrapping uh, their narrative around some form of impact. But if you, you know, for there's a saying that for everything that, uh, every answer that you give, there's like a good reason and a real reason. And I would say the real reason is probably money a lot of the time. And I'm wondering, what advice would you give to an authentic entrepreneur who will just tell you, I'm now looking for my way to get rich? Probably not start a new company. Uh, probably not start a new company. Um, if you want to get rich, well, I, I wish I knew. I, I don't think there's a formula for this. Otherwise, everybody would have done it, right? I think in the tech scene, which I know more than others, um, usually um, you can become much richer uh, by joining the right company at the right stage. Um, so if you look at companies who sort of raised some money from good VCs, kind of, uh, you know, in sort of the VC jargon, it might be a seed round, A round, sort of like early stage, and you join them at that time, and you get a nice package of stock or options or whatnot, and the company is successful. You still, like, if somebody's raised two rounds from a leading VC, they probably got a good chance, like one of three or four, to be successful. You're not going to be a billionaire out of this, but you can get maybe, I don't know, if you're successful, maybe a million dollars, which is actually a good thing. Uh, and then maybe after you get one of them, is not like rich, rich, but it's like it gives you uh, the, the economic safety that I think most people are looking for. And then once you get this, the next one is a little bit easier because now we can take a little bit more risk. But uh, that, that would be my, my advice. Because starting something is like just the likelihood of getting money and making something out of it is not huge. If you can raise money, uh, you can probably, you're probably going to be okay financially because you can, in many cases, just sell the company for even if it's unsuccessful and get something out of it. So you're not going to lose money by just, just being in a company that has raised some money. In most cases, not in all cases. Which is also something that I think um, most people in awe of, uh, you know, the traditional forms of success aren't aware that a lot of the startups um, that are sold aren't actually such a success. You know, they're just reaching a certain point and they're selling it for whatever they can get. And that still enables you to add that line of an exit uh, to your CV. Yeah, that's true. Most most, most startups have not been successful. In my previous startup, I think we raised $70 million over the years. It was many years. So, And then we gave back the investors about half of it. So I think not like a huge failure, but I don't think anybody... like especially not the first investors who kind of, it's got a waterfall thing. So the last investors always get the money back. So first investors, you know, probably some of them might not have gotten most or all of their money back. And, you know, it's part of being an investor and you can't make money out of everything, right? So let me ask you the, the backwards question of this same, actually, dilemma. Who would you recommend to start a startup? What do you need to hear to say you should do it? Usually the best entrepreneurs I meet are um, people who are very focused uh, meaning they kind of know what they need to get. They know how to execute well. They're like, okay, for, to achieve X, I need to do A, B, and C. Uh, okay, so now I need to do the first customer. Now I need to get this. So they're not distracted by a lot of noise because you're going to get lots tons of advice from all of different people. And, and we talked about customers are going to start asking you for stuff that you don't really do and the investors are going to kind of try to kind of throw you around and whatnot. So they typically tend to be pretty focused they usually have some sort of expertise, either a domain expertise or product expertise or some expertise that they can actually execute well um, and, and passionate about being kind of driving things forward. Uh, it takes a lot of passion. You're going to get nose all day and you got to keep pounding, keep pounding. So these are usually the, uh, the, the better ones I meet. Uh, but I'm sure there's different types. I mean, there's probably nice people and jerks and uh, smart and not so smart. I mean, it's all people, right? And what are your plans for Gong? Gong is growing 
fast. I mean, uh, even in this economy, we're still growing fast. Um, so the intent has been and still is to sort of grow it to be a very successful um, software company. Um, so the, the, the likes of, again, not that we kind of care about specifics, the likes of a checkpoint or I don't know, whatever it is, right? Um, so um, so that's the plan, you know, keep growing. I think we're 1,200, maybe 1,300 people right now. Um, but that's just number of people. Would you want to sell or be a checkpoint? Yeah, so growing, we know we, we have no intent in selling. Also, we raised money last time at the $7 billion valuation. And that kind of, you know, obviously, we're not going to sell the company for $7 billion. So now the number of companies who can write a check that's going to make us like consider, seriously consider it is there's a handful of those. And I don't think they're going to put the check. Um, so I think once you raise this valuation, typically what happens is you sort of go down the independent route. And at least for the time being, that's that's the uh, general intent. We like, I mean, people like working at Gong. I like working in Gong. We're having fun. So I think there's no reason to sell it. Yeah, I think the fun is sort of sensed uh, in the outer world because as I started this conversation, like you guys are like the celebrities of the industry. It seems like you're able to really convey what's going on inside in a way that's uh, bringing people to follow you. It comes down to like how you actually can fool it, right? Brand is not something you create. Brand is something you reflect on reality, right? So I think one of our operating principles, we have eight operating principles that we kind of define how we operate. And this is true. Like these are the things that we ask people in the company, what do you feel is, is working well? And then we kind of codified it. And one of the ones is enjoy the ride, which basically means we're here to have fun. This is not like this is not the fun that people talk about in tech sometimes in, in all of the kind of uh, kind of fun uh, beers on the roof kind of thing. This, this is not the thing. We're not about you know showing off fun or or I don't know taking a um, um, week long vacation in, in Mexico, right? The thing is more like during work during the time that you're in the office we're trying to to make sure people have fun we're also going to do some specific fun stuff where people we, we're shutting the company two days every quarter so that people can have time to relax but the whole intent here is you know you come to work you should be kind of you should come to work next day with a smile with something that i come to a place where i enjoy working this is where we spend most of our right uh, life you know go to sleep for however many hours and then you know take a shower and a lot of the rest is 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 work so it should be fun at least that's my belief and that goes back to the previous point which is the vote <laughs> i think it's important for me and myself this is a company that that's a good place to people enjoy working at and, and so we can try to make it that way will your kids work at gong when they grow up oh my daughter came in we did, we have those hackathons which kind of you know you know hackathons are it's like the thing that people engineers come in and kind of build stuff whatever they feel like is is cool and i brought her in she's 11 years old um, and she was fascinated because she actually went group by group and like, what do you do? And they had to explain it to an 11 year old. You know, sometimes they're like, sometimes people tell you, try to explain it to a kid. And this was the thing. They had to explain it to a kid. There's the Einstein quote that if you can't explain it to, I think it's a four year old, you don't understand it. So they had to explain. It was funny, you know, engineers struggling with, you know, explaining it to an 11 year old. And, and she's actually pretty, pretty uh, kind of sharp in, in terms of, she, she surprised me at how kind of well she understands software, which is kind of pretty uh, strange concept. And afterwards, she's like, oh, this was so awesome. Would I be able to work at Grong Gong when I grow up? I'm like, yeah, could, could. So love, would love for this to happen. And then we can, of course, discuss what type of roles they are, you know, engineer, product manager, designer. Kind of what stuff. does she want to do at this stage? She she does not want to be a programmer. She doesn't feel like she should. Her brother is a very good programmer. So I think it's a little bit of, I don't want to be like him. Um, she's an excellent designer, kind of somebody, maybe a product manager. Her dad is a product manager, so maybe dad. But she's kind of trying to figure it out. I, I think she's got a little bit of time at the age of 11. Probably, yeah, at least like two years. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, you know, she might be other things, who knows. What's your superpower? 
Um, what's my superpower? I can learn stuff relatively quickly. So when I get into new domains or new things relatively quickly, which is helpful because sometimes you're like, oh, I need to just look at this market and, and really kind of get the gist of it in, in, in relatively quickly. And I get people's mind very uh, interestingly. So I can talk to somebody for an hour and I kind of get their thought process and how they think and how they operate, which is helpful both kind of for customers to understand what they really need, but also for people around me, which is like, okay, I hear you. This is what you're looking for. Maybe I can help you get there uh, versus assume. Practicality. Well, I don't have too many superpowers. This is more practical, right? And your kryptonite? Uh, I do not. I cannot work in a political environment. Like when in a few cases in my life where I had to sort of apply the superpower of being political, I usually fail miserably. Um, I like to speak my mind. I actually have learned over the years to also kind of not speak my mind. Um, sometimes it helps because you don't want to be over blunt because we're all Israelis and especially out of Israelis, sometimes you want to kind of control this a little bit. Uh, but having to actually tell things not in the way they are is something just, I come home like frustrated. I'm going to kick a wall. Maybe this was your drive for starting your own thing, like not having to play that game. Good. Definitely part of it, right? Because in my own company, I kind of know that, again, we've kind of structured in a way that minimizes this 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 thing. And, and we kind of do our best to keep it that way, even with 1,300 company, people in the company. Um, but definitely it's not my strength. I'm horrible at it. What's amazing is it happened again. Always the strength and weakness, the practicality and non-practicality as a weakness. It's very, we, we find that, the, you know, the superpower is always also the the kryptonite it's amazing so like the thing that you're the best at getting the gist of things really quickly and understanding and being practical which is a great ability right and uh you know get it to execute things is the weakness of not hearing you know i'm gonna say it worse than you the bullshit and the you know the the all-around non-practical way to go to, to things yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty natural that sort of people kind of orient around their strengths and not around their weaknesses. And yeah, I probably would not have been able to be, I probably would not have been a good, a successful, uh, let me tell you something, I, I, I probably, uh, I would not have been successful as a politician. I definitely would not have been successful. I was barely, I, yeah, I was one of the team members that, you know, started the school I mentioned before. And I couldn't even get vote, like elected to be the, uh, what do you call it, like the uh, the chairman of the uh, board of the of parents, whatever they call it in, in, in Hebrew, it's called Vadorim. Uh, I barely, I kind of, I was leading this and I barely got elected. This just, I'm not good at like, just, just doing the thing that it takes to sort of uh, drive that type of influence. So. And if people want to find you, where can they reach you? LinkedIn is usually easiest. I think I, I'm pretty responsive um, on LinkedIn. Otherwise, they can find me at home if they know where I live. <laughs> Thank you so much and lots of luck. Thank you. Thanks for hosting me. Real life. Superpowers. Superpowers.